some gangster shit right there bro i guess so okay we're going back to our basic premise a bit of an obscure story but yet a recent story combined into two parts and that seems to be a theme with this show that we go back find this history and then we realize wow there's these crazy parallels now or echoes as you and i keep calling them on our phone conversations so what is this one about mark Oh, well, first of all, that was Edward G. Robinson, 1955, in a film called Illegal, um, one of the Warner Brothers uh, of the film noir version, where he plays a, um, a top attorney in New York who later become, who was the DA, gets kicked out of being the DA in New York, and then ends up being the mouthpiece for the mob. And uh, just a crazy, crazy film noir. Just, I really recommend it um edward g robinson is just absolutely brilliant very underrated even though he's got incredible star status but this thing is really amazing you know i highly recommend it now our story it also involves a da that's why i thought it was relevant the um it involves the mayor of new york who was william o'dwyer he was the former district attorney of uh, brooklyn and he was a guy who started to clean up the mob or so we thought in new york he sent um Lep lepke bullcoulter um to the electric chair in sing sing and uh, uh lepke was part of murder incorporated and he dragged a guy named is that is that the mayor or yeah yeah that's the dwyer Oh, so Dwyer, right. So uh, Dwyer, before he was mayor, was when he was district attorney in New York, he uh, of Brooklyn, he prosecuted some mobsters and he was um, an immigrant from Ireland who used to recite Irish poems and um, Irish, you know, sea shanties and stuff like that. And he uh, was considered to be one of the cleanest politicians in New York. Um, is that? That's him as a, probably about the time he was a DA. Right. Okay. That's a younger version of him. Yeah. So I assume this is uh, the Brooklyn DA photo. So you're talking about the 1940s here. He works his way up to become uh, the mayor of New York. And as mayor, he's considered to be one of the cleanest mayors in the city. Democrat, um, a Tammany Hall backed politician. Uh, Tammany Hall, of course, goes back to Boss Tweed in the early 1915, 1920 era of um 
you know, just mob politics or machine politics in New York City. And O'Dwyer is part of that machine. However, O'Dwyer is considered to be, as I said, squeaky clean. He uh, has some sort of baggage, but he is above the fray until it turns out that there's a guy named Harry Gross. And Harry Gross is a bookmaker. And Harry Gross for some reason is a, is this Harry Gross? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Harry Gross was a bookmaker. He doesn't look like anything, you know, right, right, right. at all. He looks perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So Harry Gross somehow is operating 120 bookmaking parlors around the city, pulling in, in 1949 money, $20 million a year. And, He's spreading out millions to police to make sure that his bookie operation can run. And the new district attorney of Brooklyn, who is a guy named Miles, is, is that Miles McDonald? No, this is the police commissioner who's on the payroll of. Uh, oh, 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 we'll get to that in a second. Miles My, McDonald is the guy who succeeds O'Dwyer. He was a, his assistant district attorney in Brooklyn. Now, Miles McDonald comes from a long Brooklyn family of uh, McDonald's. It goes back to name McDonald Avenue is named after his father, for instance, before uh, Miles McDonald becomes assistant, uh, becomes assistant DA. His father, James McDonald, was already a Brooklyn legend. This is a, a, a family that goes really far back in Brooklyn. And anyway, so he is the real deal. This guy, Miles McDonald, is a true believer and worked his way up from being a police officer. O'Dwyer was also a police officer, by the way. And O'Dwyer, in World War II, worked his way up to be a brigadier general during the invasion of Sicily. So O'Dwyer was no small uh, personality either. But this guy becomes district attorney of uh, Brooklyn, and he begins to investigate this guy, Gross. And he says to himself, how is Harry Gross able to run 120 bookmaking parlors uh, throughout the city without paying off the cops? Well, it turns out that he is indeed paying off the cops, a lot of cops with a lot of money. And he begins to put a grand jury together and over 500 cops take early retirement to avoid testifying under oath before that grand jury. 77 uh, chiefs are uh, upper level uh, cops are indicted in one scandal, Eric. This is the biggest police scandal in New York City history. That that was where I was going with this. This is bigger it, than Serpico, even much bigger than Serpico. The, wow. the numbers involved in this are hundreds and hundreds of cops going all the way up, as we're going to learn to the commission. Serpico took down a, a, a precinct up in the Bronx. This thing indicted, you know, hundreds of police officers had to retire without their pensions just to avoid. There was two suicides. O'Dwyer goes to the suicide of this police captain who blows his brains out just as they're about to give him uh, the subpoena. And he blames Miles McDonald, the D.A. of Brooklyn, his, his uh, successor, for causing the suicide of the police captain who blows his brains out, it doesn't phase McDonald at all because he knows that that was a dirty cop who blew his brains out because he was going to be indicted and be taken down. But the mayor just keeps a distance from this entire thing, thinking he's untouchable. But slowly but surely, 
the scandal and the indictments begin to creep closer and closer and closer to the mayor's office. And I think that's the mayor's uh, bride right there. The second wife. I think that's the second wife. Dwyer's got... What's that? The guy is James Moran, his right hand. Oh, Moran. This is his right-hand man. Yeah. This is a guy who was his fixer. I think he was technically deputy fire commissioner. Uh, It was a mere title. But he was always with um, the mayor as his fixer in the courts, arranging trials and judge bribery and stuff like that. So Moran was a quiet guy that operated under the radar. And as it gets closer, it begins to take in Moran. And um, now it's a step away from the mayor's office. Dun, dun, and dun, then there's dun. the other side of it. <laughs> who's this guy? It's Frank Costello. Man. Oh, Frank Costello. Yeah. So Frank Costello, who is a model for the Godfather, um, you know, the, the Don Corleone guy, he apparently has some connection to the mayor's office, but we're not really sure what it is, as does Albert Anastasia. However, the mayor has a spotless record of going after um, gangsters when in the 1940s. Unfortunately, he only goes after Jewish gangsters. The Italians, for some reason, he's oblivious to. And this is going to have some resonance in the later part of the story of turns of ethnic crime. He's He indicts these guys who do go to the electric chair and sing sing, but it's mostly the Jewish mob. And Anastasia and Frank Costello and members of the Gambino, later the Gambino family, which is what Costello is a, a forerunner of the Gambino crime family. When I was a kid, we used to have all the I used to have all the crime families on my wall in the bedroom. And you'd have all the guys who were members of the crime family, like baseball cards from the Daily News. We would clip them out and you would put them on your wall with lines of who was who. And when somebody died, you put like a red X through it. And, uh, and then later on, you turn that into your serial killer uh, trading cards for National Lampoon. Well, there is some influence there. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say directly. But yeah, let me tell you something. The, the Daily News and the tabloids used to really immortalize these guys with these layouts, these graphic layouts showing their photos and their connections of each five of the five crime families in New York. But in terms of the mayor, the scandal is about to get closer and closer to him. And he has um, some explaining to do. So the head of the Democratic Party, who I think was the Bronx Borough president of the time, uh, as the mayor is about to be indicted, makes a phone call to the president of the United States uh, asking for help in this matter. Because what's conceived is that if O'Dwyer goes down, the Democratic Party is going to go down because the tentacles between O'Dwyer and the National Democratic Party, led by Truman, who's president of the United States, uh, would be a disaster and an embarrassment to the National Democratic Party. Now, Truman comes from also from a mob politics background with the Pendergast mob out of Kansas City in the 1930s. And Pendergast was the mentor of uh, Truman. Here he is with with Pendergast, his political machine. So Truman is well aware as to how uh, a political machine works. And he realizes that if O'Dwyer goes down, this could lead all the way up to the White House in terms of embarrassment. And uh, there's another shot of Pendergast. Yeah. He was the the string the string puller of um, of Truman, and Truman was really this cantankerous old man who just kept yelling at people, and and was a little bit out of his league in terms of being in that seat. It, you know, when he was vice president, 
he became president when Roosevelt died and may or may not have been prepared. He came from this, <laughs> this shirt store where he works with a guy named Jacobson, a Jewish fellow in Kansas City. And his background is simply that he makes shirts. Now, I used to work for the custom uh, shirt store in New York. So I have a special affinity towards this pr profession. And I understand where Jacobson's coming from and I understand where, where Truman's coming from. But Truman, uh, this partner of his, Jacobson, are partners for many, many years. And this is uh, Bessie Truman, I believe, his yep, wife. Yep. Okay, so because of the rules of Bessie Truman and the time, no Jews are allowed in the Truman household. Everybody knows that because Jews are simply not allowed in that household. So Jacobson, the partner. What are you is, doing here? Yeah, yeah Jacobson, Jacobson, the partner, wasn't allowed. He showed up for some reason to talk to Truman. And she caught him in the house and had to kick him out because he was a Jew. Even though they were partners for 20 years, he still wasn't allowed in the house. Uh, and it wasn't her. I guess it was the, the, the either geographics or the social etiquette of the time. Um, as Who knows what they would do if those Jews got into the house? Anything could happen. <laughs> you know. But anyway, so this transposes itself later to 1948 in the Truman White House. This is an early Truman shop before he's president. He ran for judge. Uh, here he is faking signatures on ballots with that signature. <laughs> with that signature hey, machine. Machine. Yeah, that's like the that's the enigma machine of ballot <laughs> signatures from 1939 or something. I don't know what that is. But apparently Truman ran uh, for a couple of offices unsuccessfully. But when he gets into the White House, these rabbis come to see him with Jacobson. Jacobson introduces these rabbis, the Grand Rabbi of New York. And this is all. Well, this is not the rabbis. I think this no, is. No, but I don't have the rabbis. But just <laughs> this is his, this is his Pendergast mob here. But in in 1948, they come to see him about um, recognizing the state of Israel, and Jacobson leads in this group of rabbis, and they plead with Truman successfully to recognize the state of Israel. And at the end, Truman yells at him, saying, "All right, I'm going to do this." But don't any of you Jews ever come back in here again. If my wife catches you, I'm dead. So Jacobson said, don't worry, we'll never be back. And the rabbis left having the endorsement that Truman, a liberal Democrat progressive, real progressive, uh, that the Jews would never come back into the Oval Office ever again. Uh, he's credited, of course, with the recognition of, of uh, the state of Israel. But however, I must point out that I think he just wanted to get them out before his wife caught them in the Oval Office. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the rules were, as you're well aware, the same as her, his house, because she lived there, that no Jews were allowed in the Oval Office at the time. Um, but he was a liberal progressive Democrat in all other areas. <laughs> anyway, so Truman is called by O'Dwyer's men to help O'Dwyer out in this situation, to get him out of trouble because he is about to be indicted, to make a long story short. Mm -hmm. And Truman and his men, his henchmen, come up with a plan to get him out of harm's way by naming him the ambassador to Mexico. And the reason, is this Mexico City? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, they have a Starbucks. They didn't have a Starbucks then. No, you know, hey, <laughs> couldn't find another one. Okay, so Truman and his men come up with a plan to make him ambassador to Mexico, right? Now, this is important because only the president of the United States can recall an ambassador, not even a grand jury, not even a governor. Yeah, it's a little loophole. 
And that's what like the Democrats, who are masters at loopholes, again, found this loophole in 1950 to get him out of harm's way. So he is sent to Mexico. They give him a ticket day parade. He resigns and he is replaced by a guy named Vincent Impelitari. Now, Vincent Impelitari is Italian from Sicily. And he was, uh, that's him right there. He was the Manhattan Borough President, um, uh, President of the City Council, rather. And he uh, succeeds him as acting mayor. And he is acting mayor for about three, I want to say like August to December of 1950. And then he has to run on his own. And he runs on his own and wins. And he runs on a ticket called the Experience Party, not as a Tammany Hall politician. This is the important thing about Impelitary. Impelitary runs as an independent populist, not unlike some recent president that we heard of. And he runs not as a Tammany Hall Democrat. He runs as a populist from a party called the Experience Party because he had a lot of experience in government. And he, as when he runs, but I'm saying as acting mayor, he comes in for that uh, four month period and they internally begin to undermine him, the veteran Tammany Hall guys, because he won't do their bidding. So right away, internally, he's being undermined in Pelletary. He's a lame duck. Right. But he's got to run and he runs in 1950. So he's got to get a campaign manager and he gets this guy, Jack Bloom, out of Brooklyn, who was an old friend of his. And Jack Bloom uh, was a this is the guy right here. Yeah. Jack Bloom helps Impelitari win in 1950, the first election that was ever an independent party in the history of New York that was not a major party, a Democrat or Republican. And he runs under this populist party. Uh, it's called the Experience Party, but it was really a populist type party. And he wins. And uh, there's Jack Bloom <laughs> again, helping out. I guess this might have been the victory celebration. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's Mrs. Bloom right with her. <laughs> so somehow they win. And Impelitari, uh, one of his biggest claims to fame was that he came up with the idea of parking meters to raise city revenue. And uh, they put parking meters everywhere. And that nickel and dime shit allowed, and he also raised the, I think the subway fare from 10 to 15 cents or something, uh, which is still pretty cheap. But the the idea of the parking meters was something that Impelitari came up with, which I thought was funny because I had a friend named um, Gary Grossberg, who when we were kids went down to Flatbush Avenue with a hacksaw and he cut off the heads of 22 parking meters, <laughs> brought them back to his bedroom where he smashed them open with a sledgehammer took out all the coins and we went to Sid's Luncheonette on Plum First Street where he bought us all ice cream sodas with the money from inside the parking meter heads that he smashed open. Side story, not an American untold story, but just some urban story. But anyway, so Impelitari becomes the first mayor that's a non-party mayor. I don't know if I want to curse him to this day, though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, his invention, while clever to get the money in, is like, oh, you bastard have haunted us forever. You mean the parking meter yeah. or? Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I don't know. Man. Right. I don't know where that goes, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But they were trying to raise all kinds of revenue from different schemes, obviously, for good or bad causes. You know, uh, uh, O'Dwyer had appointed Robert Moses and Robert Moses became, the you know, the guy who built the city parks. But he also drove the Dodgers out of Brooklyn, which was drove them here in 19, 1955, uh, 1957, rather. They came here and. um you know, there's, so there's ups and downs, there's, you know, good and bad in both of these things. But 
anyway, so M. Palatari serves a full term. He serves that little interim term. And then when he runs again, he loses to Robert Wagner. But Robert Wagner at that point is an independent Democrat and uh, an independent mayor, not linked to Tammany Hall. So the Tammany, the impalitary administration is key in New York, the history of New York politics for breaking the stranglehold of Tammany Hall on mayoral mm. politics. It, it will take probably another 75 years for that to even come close to happening in the city of Chicago. But this is the end, basically, of major corruption in New York. This break here of O'Dwyer, and O'Dwyer comes back and is called before the grand jury, comes back on his own, testifies before the grand jury, kind of skirts a lot of these accusations, goes back to Mexico, does not come back until the 60s, where he stays down there and, and eventually came back and died in, in uh, obscurity as a mayor. Impolitary um, gets appointed by Robert Wagner to be a, a judge in the city and mm. uh, lives a long life, you know, uh, in terms of being the judge appointed by Wagner and that kind of a thing. So that story that I just told you, as you indicated from your thing, has echoes of today. So and that's why it's of relevance. It's not just a, an, it's a great American untold story, but oh, yeah. as Eric and I like to do, there let's are some echoes. Now. What's starting, that? Let's look at now, starting with a, a DA again in recent times. Oh, that's that's a guy who um, refused to come out of his office during the OJ trial, watched it on TV, even though he was the district attorney of Los, Los Angeles. That's the father of the current mayor of Los Angeles, Gil Garcetti. And uh, he lost that case famously, never left his room. And um, uh, the, the two inexperienced prosecutors made fools out of themselves during the OJ trial. Now, here he is with his dad. Yeah. He becomes mayor of New York and uh, mayor of L.A. And it's kind of an obscure, uh, not obscure, but it's kind of like a powerless position. The, 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 in the 1930s, the mayors were so corrupt that they created this board of supervisors uh, and the city council. The city council, uh, there he is again, the city council really has the power in L.A. The mayors are merely a ribbon cutting ceremony, and that's intentional. The head of the Board of Supervisors is actually called Mr. Mayor um, as a, as a uh, street thing. And the mayor, in this particular case, when COVID happened, took the reins of power away and began to uh, run with them. And that has not happened since the 1930s in Los Angeles. He was a city councilman at one point right here. And this guy was involved in a number of sketchy building scandals, always staying one inch ahead of the investigators. And he made his bones in the building trades here, this, this Garcetti. <laughs> and he built a thing right over here by me, a Target, a, sup a superstore Target. And the area has zoning where the building cannot be higher than three stories. So when they gave the blueprints in, the parking garages, which is common over here in commercial zoning, are underground, Eric, as opposed to having stacks of parking going straight up in mm. the sky. Because they, there's low zoning because of residential um, housing in Hollywood, the zoning uh, and the blueprints for this particular massive super target on, um, on Sunset and, and Western over here uh, was to have underground parking. So they start, they start building the target and everybody looks and goes, Oh, that's weird. They're putting the 
like a six-story parking structure on the roof. So the local people sue. They get a lawyer. The local residents sue. And he's the guy who, who put the project in, in, into play. And they sue. And the judge goes, they call in the target lawyers. And they go, what's with this parking structure on the roof? And they go, we're very sorry, Your Honor. We'll, we'll go back to the original plans. And they, Your Honor, well, sorry. So the judge says, okay, well, don't let that be a lesson to you. So they go back and they just continue building the parking structure on the roof, Eric. They just keep <laughs> adding it on. So they get another court injunction and another court injunction. And they just keep getting spanked by the judge who says, what the hell is wrong with you people? And eventually, you know, the project uh, got the parking underneath the ground. But the point of the matter was he became mayor and got embroiled in yet more and more and more of these building trades trade things where there's a lot of sketchy chinese people involved not italian mobsters now it becomes the chinese and that's how he makes his bones uh uh, uh mayor garcetti in dealing with chinese building uh people who set up these fly-by-night companies and the feds begin to look at his operation now they haven't gotten to him yet but they are building up in a very similar way to Harry Gross. Okay, so these are the two guys. This is um, the 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 guy from uh, Zen New World. Is that uh, Wei Wang on the right? I, it might be. It might be. I I didn't get the the name on him, and then that's another councilman on the left. Oh, okay. So that okay. Just so you know, there was there was the first indictment was a deputy mayor Raymond Chan, who I think that may be on the right. This guy gets indicted. I think that's Huzar. But hold on, let me just yeah, back up is, for a second. This is Huzar. All right, let me back up because he—that's he, a little bit further down the road. Okay. There, there is a, the deputy mayor gets indicted. That's Raymond Chan. He goes down, and that the indictment goes against this New World group from China called Wang, a guy named Wei Wang, and Wei Wang um, disappears and folds up shop and goes back to Beijing. Now, during the COVID epidemic and the early in the COVID, Garcetti was cited early in the morning repeatedly going into the Chinese embassy over and over and over again. And because there was no real coverage, people just said, why is he going into the Chinese embassy every morning? And he repeatedly was mm. seen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was repeatedly seen. No explanation as to what was going on in the Chinese embassy. Now, a lot of these companies that were, were dirty and filthy Chinese building uh, companies have left shells of skyscrapers in downtown LA right now and fled. There are half-built skyscrapers with no companies attached to them who fled back to China, Eric. This sounds like uh, Miami during Cocaine Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. So his <laughs> his advisor uh, is a guy named Rick Jacobs. Now, Rick Jacobs uh, is gay, oh, Rick. and, and Rick. he insists on grabbing the testicles and this guy yeah he insists on grabbing the private body parts of officer garza he, he insists he does it repeatedly he cannot keep his hands off of officer garza who is the bodyguard assigned by lapd uh to be the bodyguard of garcetti who's here giving a thumbs up to the grabbing of the body parts. This goes on over and over and over again by Jacobs, who was apparently just nuts. So Garza sues Jacobs, and now Garcetti is, has to be deposed. He tried to get out of this, Garcetti, 
and he has he has to be deposed in this scandal. Uh, Yasser Ali came out and he said that he did the same thing to him. Yasser Ali is a big internet social media guy. And uh, that kind of forced Jacobs out of the, uh, there, there's Ali, yeah, uh, a lefty. But in this case, he said, and he took a lot of heat for this. He said he did the same thing to him repeatedly. And um, I'm not sure who this is, but. That's Yasser. Oh, it's put on some weight. Oh my, oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, what's that? It stressed him out. <laughs> yeah, apparently he got very stressed out. But anyway, so he kind of puts the nail in the coffin for Rick Jacobs, who I think is still going to be in a lot of trouble because of Garza and 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 Garcetti um, involved in this scandal involving that. So now you start to get into the indictment of the city council members who are being investigated by the FBI. The first guy to go down is a guy named Mitch Englander. Uh, city councilman. He's currently involved. Mitchell, former cop. That one. It, oh, he's an ex-cop. That's right. He takes <laughs> he takes bribes and corruption, just like the story in New York, to move these Chinese building things through the city council, and he is now in prison in Arizona, Eric, in uh, down by you, and I, in some prison by Nogales that's down by the Mexican Florence. border. Oh, oh, no, no, no. There's one down by the Mexican border. He's getting out in May of 2022, I, I believe. Mm. So he was the first guy to go down. They tried to flip him. I don't know what they got out of him, but they did get the next guy, who's Jose Weezer. Weezer is uh, the next guy to go down. Here he is. The FBI raids his office. He's taken down for taking bribes from the developers, again, from these Chinese developers. It's the same storyline. It all starts with Garcetti, when Garcetti is a city councilman. Garcetti's the mayor. They are now inch by inch funneling uh, uh, these uh, bribes up the chain of command. Weezer's a lawyer. He tries to get his wife to take his seat. She's a lawyer. He is now fighting it. He was going to represent himself, but he realized that that would be futile. They've got him uh, every six every which way is Sunday, you know, in terms of an indictment against him. And he's going to go down. I think they're just waiting to try to flip him um, to go after Mr. Big, which is what they want. They don't want these city councilmen. The, the noose is starting to tighten on Mr. Big, Mr. Tight Pants, as we call him here in L.A. That's, that's, that's what his does nickname. Rick call him? I don't know what Rick calls him, but here Sir? he's called Mr. Mr. Tight Pants. He has a wife who is an avowed Marxist. They've got a ton of adopted children. Um, she's got an incredibly bizarre background. I don't, we don't have the time to get into Mrs. Garcetti's background. Uh, let it be said, I, I think this may be a sham marriage and I'm not alone in that. But that being said- um, That's her there, right? That's her there, yeah. And she's an avowed Marxist, social revolutionary uh, with these adopted children. Is that I, Howard Dean? You know, that might be Howard Dean. I don't think it's wow. Howard Dean. All right. Well, good times. That's kind of interesting. Uh, unless that's Mrs. Dean, but I don't think so. Unless the two on the end are a couple on the bookends. You know what I mean? A lot of things that could be possible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really sure about their relationship. But there's so much bizarre things going on in there. Anyway, so 
While we're waiting for the next indictment, Mark Ridley Thomas gets indicted. Now, he's another city councilman involved in these scandals. This guy is another one above reproach. He has a son named Sebastian uh, uh, Ridley Thomas. Sebastian Ridley Thomas is a state assemblyman who begins to grope women nonstop and is apparently <laughs> out of control. No, no, this is all in the records. Uh, can't stop oh. himself. He's up in Sacramento. The sun, not this guy, the sun. The sun starts groping women nonstop. The Me Too movement, it's about to decapitate him. And he <laughs> goes to rehab and hides out in the rehab, which, like I said to you many times, this is a common way of avoiding either publicity or indictment. He goes to rehab, disappears. So Was Ridley- Was Rob Lowe who started all that? The sex scandal to rehab? I, I don't know. I'd have to ask Rob Lowe next time I see him, but the, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'd have to talk to him how it started. But anyway, make a long story short, this guy is on the city council and he says, I got to help my son out. And he contacts the dean of USC and he says, if you want money to come from the city to continue from USC, which is millions and millions of dollars in city money that goes to USC, which is in downtown LA, by the way, and in the city of Los Angeles, um, University of Southern California. The, he wants his son, his son to come out of rehab and get a full, a full scholarship to USC. And he, now he's already a state assemblyman, right? So it's a little odd because I think he's in his 30s. But she, he wants his son to have a full scholarship to USC. And they said, okay, I think we can arrange that. And he said, well, how's my son going to live? And they said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he, he's got to have, you know, room and board and a salary. And they said, well, that's very uncommon for students, Mr. Thomas, you know, to have something like that. So he, he suggests and they agreed to give him a full professorship. So, so not wait, only so let me let me get this straight. So you're saying <laughs> yeah, that yeah. You have a politician yep. who is potentially strong arming. Um, an institution or entity to give their son a job mm -hmm. that they're not qualified for, for a lot of money. I swear I've heard that story before somewhere. Very similar. Very similar. You're right. <laughs> now this, this, not only is he, this is the oddity of the student. The story is that I think the professorship is about 50,000 and, He's not only a student, but he's a professor. <laughs> the same school, Echo, the same school. He's a professor and he's a student, right? So he has, you know, he funnels the money and the FBI, because of the, remember the bribery scandal of the celebrities trying to get their kids in school? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So the dean gets caught up in that. And they said, do you have any other information? He says, well, the woman dean who resigns and is forced out, she gives up Mark Ridley Thomas as part of whatever else that she can come up with to help herself. She gives him up and this scandal. And now there's, you know, the massive indictment. So he resigns from the city council. This is like a month ago, you know, right now. So this is the only city in history with three city councilmen indicted at the same time. One of them in prison, one of them going to prison. And, and this one just now is three, three. Uh, no city can match that. Maybe in Capone, Chicago or something like that. As Lenny Bruce said about Chicago, and I'll say about Los Angeles, Los Angeles is so corrupt, it's thrilling.
and there's no investigative reporters. The TV just covers COVID news 24-7, masks, restaurants like In-N-Out Burger that are not wearing masks. There is no investigative reporting at all. These things have been happening in broad daylight for, for, for five years over here in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? And it makes me think of, um, there was a saying about uh, Louisiana and New Orleans, and it was that in Louisiana, we don't expect corruption. We demand it. <laughs> well, that might be true here. I mean, I don't know. It's so dark. But anyway, so Thomas, they're now trying to squeeze Thomas to see what they can get out of him, which leads us to the echoes of the Truman administration. Because as this is bubbling to the surface, this guy gets a phone call and it's Eric Garcetti's people. And they figure out that we got to do something to save Eric Garcetti because he is the chairman of the Biden presidential campaign. And if he goes down, it's gonna be embarrassing to a guy who's already got scandals with China with his own son and whatever crazy crap he has, he's got problems. So they look back in the history books and they come up, again, the similarities are breathtaking. Apparently Biden doesn't like Garcetti and Truman didn't like O'Dwyer. In fact, O'Dwyer, had written a letter by politicians to tell uh, Truman not to run for president. So he's asking for help from a guy he didn't like. And I think the relationship might be the same thing here, where Garcetti glommed on to Biden earlier. So Garcetti's people contact Biden and tell him, just like what happened with O'Dwyer and Truman in 1949, that this indictment may be coming down and I have to have an escape route. The escape route is that Biden nominates Garcetti to be the ambassador of India. And it's the exact same. Is this the is this the embassy where I'll be living? Is this the Indian embassy? Yep. OK. In OK. In Delhi. Right. And so anyway, so out of the blue, people go, why is he going to India? This is crazy. He's got a wife and 52 kids. Are they going to pick up and go to India? And and apparently this is what we're gathering out of the Democratic historical playbook, a, a rare chestnut that they look back and came out of the came out of their files with of how to save a guy who could thoroughly embarrass the National Democratic Party. Uh, in this case, the relationship would be with Biden and Garcetti. <laughs> well, so, you know, if the trick works, man. It worked before. They work again, except for one thing. Truman didn't have problems with his nomination. Now, this nomination has been blocked by Ted Cruz. So this guy, in one of the most unhappy endings I've ever seen in the story, is now a man without a country. He was saying goodbye to everyone, saying, I'm going to India. His staff has moved on. They've gotten other jobs. They floated their resumes back in August and, and, and July because he was going to be the ambassador to India. Now, according to sources, they're saying that this nomination may not be approved until June of 2022 at the earliest because they're blocking the vote, Eric. You know, they're blocking the vote and they're not letting this guy escape uh, American soil and flee to India. So now he's apparently just drifting around L.A. We don't have a mayor. We have a man who doesn't have a staff that he's kind of lost himself psychologically. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And he just keeps showing up at the office, mumbling incoherently, I'm the mayor of L.A. I don't think that's a good sign. And, and he was giving press conferences every night during COVID. And, you know, he packed his bags. He thought he was going to India. And rightfully so. 
because that's what happened with O'Dwyer. This is a, a foolproof scheme, except for Ted Cruz, who decided to see into the history books as a historian and cut them off at the pass, as they say in Westerns, Eric. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Now, that brings us back to a little bit of history and yet another crazy echo in the story. What's that? Well, that campaign manager. Oh, yeah, that's Jack Bloom, the campaign manager for Impelitary. He uh, became a, a an accountant, but he was also the Democratic um, money guy. Not the money guy, but a guy who was the accountant for the Democratic Party inside of the uh, Brooklyn machine, which was Meade Esposito, uh, who ran Brooklyn. He was another um, uh, Democratic bigwig. And this guy, Jack Bloom... Um, was offered all kinds of jobs. He was offered the head of off-track betting, but he turned it down. He was offered all of these political plum jobs, but he wouldn't take them because there was political patronage. And, you know, he was had his hands full with this baby, which is his grandson, uh, who has a striking resemblance to me because that is me being held by my grandfather. And this is my grandfather uh, and I years later. Uh, he lived to be 93. He was born in 1901. He died in 19, I think, 94 and lived in Brooklyn his entire life on Avenue P. And um, for years was my father because I didn't have a father as a kid until I was about seven. So he was kind of my father, taught me how to play baseball, how to shoot pool, how to pitch pennies, how to play cards and and play the horses, which I was never very good at. But um, he... Um, taught me everything I know about politics. He would wake up in the morning, get the three papers, and we'd sit together and read the three newspapers, the Daily News, the Times, and the New York Post in the morning for breakfast. And he taught me how to read a newspaper and what was important in a newspaper and how the city government worked in New York and then nationally, too. He didn't have a national profile, but um, he was a political animal, so he taught me everything I knew about politics at that age. you know. And later on, I was asked to run for... I don't know if I ever told you this, Eric, but I was asked to run for county coroner of Greene County in upstate New York. They had a Republican county coroner who had been county coroner for 42 years and he dropped dead of a heart attack. And I was about 24 years old and I was a member of the uh, Hunter Democratic Club in Hunter, New York. Just I was a guy, you know, just a kid. I was just sitting there and a guy comes in. He was the state Democratic chairman named Rafi Klein. And Rafi Klein said, this is our only opportunity to take power back in this window because the next guy might be the coroner for 40 more years and we're never going to have a chance. And he says, and he's talking to a room full of about 40 or 50 people. And he says, that's why we need a young guy with energy. And that's why he gives a whole long speech. And he turns around and points to me and he goes, that's why Mark can be the county coroner of <laughs> Green County. And I looked up, I said, are you kidding me? And, and the guy it sounds says, like no. a Mark Twain book title. Right, right, right. So he corner. says, no, you could do it. I said, do what? He says, you could be the county coroner. I said, dude, I'm 23 years old. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, all you got to do is sign the death certificate. You don't have to be a medical examiner. Like, that's going to make it better for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he says, you could hold this position for 30 or 40 years. It would really help us. <laughs> and I said, I've got other plans. And they said, don't be selfish. And I said, okay. How much does it pay? And he told me what it paid. It was like, you know, 18,000 a year or 13,000 or whatever it was. And I said, hmm. 
And he and I said, how much campaign money is there? And he, he looked at me and he says, nothing. You got to go on your own. I said, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not campaigning for no campaign money. But that was the only time I was until, like I told you, with the Freedom, Peace and Freedom Party with Timothy Leary years later to run as vice president on the on the Peace and Freedom ticket, I think in 96 or 93 or something. Amazing. But anyway, so, yeah, my grandfather raised me, taught me uh, uh, about the subway system in New York when he I was born in 1901. I think in 1905, 1906, they opened up the full stretch of 1907 of the subway. And he told me that the entire city rode on that subway all day and night, drinking and going crazy to see where it went to places that you'd never been because it took you to all the mm. outskirts of the entire five boroughs or four boroughs. We took that back. The, and everybody rode it all day and night as a celebration of the city. So he taught me all these weird things like if when I was a teenager, if I ever got lost in New York, I would call him up and say, which train do I take in the middle of the night to get home? You know what I mean? Like he would say, walk three blocks. There's the F train, go downstairs, stay on the right, go upstairs, go on the other side. There's the D transfer to the F. And he would, he knew all this stuff, you know, he knew the entire, and a lot of guys did, he wasn't alone, but as a kid, you know, when you're 15 and you're high as a kite running around Greenwich Village and you can't find your way home, it's a great asset to be able to call up your grandfather and go, how the hell do I get out of here? But anyway, it's it's just a weird story where he's linked to it. So I thought it might be interesting. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. So what is next for us, Mark? Um, what is next is on Friday. What are we doing on Friday? We're doing the um, Baldwin part six, right? Oh, part Clooney six of the Baldwin. Excuse me? Clooney, Clooney versus Baldwin. Right? Oh, Clooney versus Baldwin. Yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be. I don't want to give it away, but there's apparently a feud going on now between two megastars in Hollywood, which is always great when they fight each other. Um, so that might be a good segment to tune in. We're going to have some other facts by then also, because I have sources leaving notes on my door and people just flinging bags of information over my fence. So who knows where this is going to end up on Friday. And on Monday, we have a special, yes. a special, special presentation. Yeah. Uh, Monday is going to be one month old for the channel. One month so old we're for still the channel. Relatively young. And we'll talk about what's going to happen on Monday, Monday. It'll be surprised everybody. Yeah. I don't want to tip that off. Uh, Monday is a special day, but there's going to be a lot of information on Monday. Monday is going to just be, People watching this playing it back at a slower speed. I think <laughs> this, the fire Monday is going to be coming. Monday is just going to be machine gun style, nonstop of factoids on Monday. On Friday, whatever we have on Friday, we're going to give you. So on the Baldwin Clooney thing. So that that I don't know what we're going to have. We got some information right now that I think is some breaking news for Friday. Um, you know, it's again, this Baldwin thing just keeps on giving. We, di we didn't sign up, like you said, to be the Baldwin channel. But no, <laughs> this does fall into a lot of my wheelhouse being out here um, in Hollywood itself. So I'm getting a lot of tips, hairdresser tips, you know, grip tips, people at the street tips. You know, uh, what are you? Everybody's talking about it out here. You know, so it's a common uh, discussion point because it involves so many Hollywood people and crew, you know, where I live, there's a lot of crew members who live here, so it's it's pretty pretty topical right now. Also, um, we're going to be going back to Elliot Smith. Once I resolve it, the copyright troll struck again. So the Elliot Smith video that we put up last week has been taken down. I'm fighting it out with YouTube. But if you go to a 
um, America's Untold Stories clips, the original videos are all back up because they've already lost on one. Right. So we're waiting for that to work out. And as a surprise, we're going to have a guest joining us. Oh, from France, right. from France. Yes. Um, a French guest. This yes. will be good. Yes. When, whenever we get the channel restored. It's not a guest kind of format. Well, like a video. The channels are all up. And right, the channels are up. Right. And, and, and stay tuned to you know, both of these. Because obviously we have to play back and forth with some of this stuff. Right. This guest has written a book on the subject. So hopefully, um, which Eric has right here, we're trying to encourage you to read this book by Alison Camus. Now, that's a pseudonym. She doesn't want to give her real name, but she's I, she won't even tell me. And I've known her for years. I only know her as Alison Camus. So um, whatever her real name is, they're not going to get it out of me. And if they indict me like they did Bannon and drag me in in handcuffs and shackles, you know, in a contempt of Congress uh, subpoena, I still can't give them the name because I do not know her real name. So um, she will be a guest. And we're just trying to set up the actual time for her to come on. We're going to focus, I believe, on the coroner's report. Uh, she interviewed the coroner um, in detail about the um, suicide or murder uh, aspects of the Elliot Smith case. So she wants to, and I agree, I think we should focus on the um, coroner's report, Eric. Because yes, no that, is, that is scientific. That is science. Right. And it's, it's still an open case. So the, the coroner's report is possibly our best uh, touchstone in the case everything else is a lot of speculation but the coroner's report can we put it up on the screen at the time we do the show will we be yes, able yes, 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 okay yes. so we can get into that and maybe if you have any medical friends maybe we could bring on a medical person to look at that i don't know I, somebody might know a doctor who's on oh i see okay well oh we're also going to do uh salk versus sabin jonas salk versus Hopefully albert sabin for that Right. Yeah. The race for the cure for polio. And um, Dr. Drew has agreed to come on and explain a little bit about the polio vaccine and the two types that Salk developed and that Sabin developed in the 1950s um, and the race for the cure and, and, and how exciting that was for an American untold story, uh, which is an incredible story. Absolutely incredible of these two brainiac scientists racing to get two different types of uh, a vaccine, actually. One live and one killed, the Sabin being live and the Salk being killed. And uh, therein lies the rub of the two vaccines. I don't want to give anything away, but the two different, radically different vaccines is really uh, part of the storyline. And uh, Salk and Sabin and jealousy, it was, I could just tell you this, if you've ever seen the movie Amadeus, it's kind mm -hmm. of like the relationship Salieri. between Salieri and 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 um, Mozart, and um, one well, being. <laughs> what's that? I was gonna say if that's not enough for everybody, then right? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's kind of Salk was like it was like Mozart and 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 Sabin like Salieri, um, and there's Fauci esque echoes, Eric. So you'll you'll get a taste of that in that episode. But we also have Lord Buckley coming up, one of the most famous underground uh, stand-up comedians, a guy who started it all before Lenny Bruce and before Dick Gregory, before Richard Pryor, before Mort Saul, there was Lord Buckley, Richard Lord Buckley, uh, who came out of Northern California uh, to become a legend. And um, that story is unbelievable. We'll be playing some recordings of his and whatever video we could find. And folks, that's we'll stop on that in terms of coming up with us because yeah. that's yeah. only maybe... 
twenty percent of what we have planned in the next yeah. months. So yeah. I mean, you can hear that there's so much coming up. On the Eric Hunley channel this Thursday, I have the entire behavior panel coming on. So folks may want to check that out. And please subscribe here. Hit the, yeah, subscribe. Get the word out. And yeah. come see us on Locals. We're going to try to do a little uh, behind-the-scenes content. Mark is coming into Locals um, with me as a partner, a la Viva Barnes style. And that's going to make the content even greater for everybody. So I hope everybody considers joining join be a joiner uh, you can catch me at lord buckley at the bottom of your screen you see my uh twitter handle uh i left off the e as a homage to the original lord buckley so that was intentional but that's where that twitter handle comes from is from lord buckley and also my book is down there rehab nation inside the secret world of celebrity drug rehabs if you want to ever look into that it's an ebook i think it's about 2.99 and there's a paypal account down there if you find some money and uh, just looking to launder money. This is a good place to launder money so I could buy some more books and tell you these stories. And Eric's down there too. And um, yeah, just subscribe because this is gonna get really interesting now that we're back and um, we have quite a few stories to come. We have to go twice a week, Eric, at some point just to get these out. Well, what know? are we doing this week? Oh, we're going twice. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. I'm a little. Well, there's today and there's Friday, so I don't. Oh, know. oh, maybe we are. Okay, all right. Well, if you join, for how much is it, Eric? Five dollars to um, join? No, uh, for locals, it is literally three dollars until December first. Then it goes to five dollars. So I encourage so everyone. A, a cutoff is an incentive. You're saying? Yeah, yeah. You can go pay for a year for thirty bucks or three dollars a month now until December first, and right. you'll be locked in. And as of December 1st, it'll be $5 a month or $50 a year because it's two of us and a lot more content. Right. Well, so, two people can come up with more than one person, right? Working together. In theory. <laughs> in theory. So, okay. So $5 is not going to kill anybody, right? I mean, but you, you're going to get all the secret content too, right, Eric? Yeah. Well, we, we're going to be doing a little behind the scenes video any day now. Right. Um, about is there any nudity involved? Is there any foul language? I mean, what can we do over there? Uh, well, we can we can say things like um, Fauci juices. You right. Know, talk right. about that. Um, we bring Doctor Drew with us after the Salk thing and go may, over there. Maybe able to do a little extra with Doctor Drew. I think you're right. talking to another gentleman who I can't even say his name on YouTube. Oh right, right. Or it'll send up alarms. But um, that person may or may not come. We can't guarantee that. So I'm not gonna. Right. Any name. Right. But yeah, well, he's and, begging to come now. Now he's begging. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the coolest game in town. So, right. folks, hit the like on your way out. And until next time, see ya.